0: Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, do you have any ice in your mouth?
1: Clear. Clear. What have we got around the grounds this week? Annabelle Sutherland's three hundred and sixty four payday in Indian cricket. Three hundred and sixty four. <laughs> $364,000 payday in Indian cricket. GB's shock exit from Olympic contention and the Aussie 7s backed up their... First tournament win with a second tournament tournament win in Cape Town this morning.
0: How good! For the key story, we'll discuss the growing list of accusations toward former Spanish football president Luis Rubiales. My name is Chloe Dalton, and I'm joined every week on the show by my co-host Bez. So, a, I
1: was just looking at my new merch. You're just checking it out.
0: <laughs> We've got I've got the Invest in Women Sports tee on. In our short sleeve. So we did it in long sleeve and got a lot of requests for it to be in short sleeve for people in warmer climates, AKA Sydney today. Goodness mm. me. Why is it so muggy? Monday. She's humid. Um, you got your watch women's sports tea, We got equal play. We got hats. We got a tote bag. Get amongst it. Get your orders in by Wednesday, 9am, Wednesday 13th of December at 9am.
1: We do, we're doing everything we can to make sure they get to you in time for being under the tree.
0: We're also doing a really cool campaign with the Indigenous Literacy Foundation where if you go onto our website and you purchase a kid's book, The A to Z of Who I Could Be, which it is a really cool book we put out earlier this year that's an alphabet book showing some incredible female and non-binary athletes we have here in Australia. Perfect for kids. Put it under the Christmas Christmas tree for a little kid you know. So what we're going to do for every book purchased prior to Christmas shipping cutoff dates, we're going to donate a book to the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. And what they then do is they distribute it to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. So good. It's really cool. So get amongst it. Um, you get a gift while you're able to give a gift at the same time.
1: So much gifting. It's great.
0: Let's take a look around the grounds.
1: In football, the Matildas rounded out a pretty mind blowing 2023 really with a tight defeat last week against Canada. They did face Canada twice. We spoke about the 5 0 defeat in the first game. The second was definitely a more familiar lineup for the Tillies. The retiring Christine Sinclair's farewell game that Canada ended up winning 1 0, it did mark an emotional moment, I think, for everyone in international football. She's, like we said last week, a real icon of the game and someone that's been there through this amazing transition period of growth. Um, and it was, did you see her get subbed off? I think the whole. Like, players from both teams gave her a hug on the way off. It's really It took cool. her about five minutes to get off the field. And so she deserves. Yeah, it was great. Attilies gave it their all, but the toll of a packed schedule was evident. In an excellent piece by Samantha Lewis on ABC Sport, if you haven't read it, jump online and have a look. Um, she really highlights the challenges faced by our Matildas after that intense 2023 Women's World Cup. For example, players like Steph Catley, Caitlin Ford, they had 18 days off before resuming club football in Europe after the World Cup. It's not a long time for a come down. And that's, I think, the biggest thing. So there's plenty of chat about the physical loading and obviously that's why we played or one of the reasons why we, you know, didn't play all the big names in that first match. But Lewis also delves into that question of mental and emotional fatigue um, that the Matildas are more than likely experiencing after that amazing World Cup journey, like, Have they had time to process that World Cup journey? No way. Are they equipped? And and then, I guess the 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 question moving forward is: Are they genuinely equipped to handle a packed schedule? And it's something. It's interesting because it's something that's probably new to them as elite athletes. I think the the men's football stars have are used to flying all over the world and playing in international windows and things like that. But it is very new for the for the women. I think. When you talk about a World Cup, for instance, the hype and the build-up to that, afterwards you are cooked. Mm-hmm. Like you you are spent.
0: It's a huge – and and the fact that it was on home soil and as you touched on, like if we looked back, I don't know, five years ago, there's no way they would have played that many international matches. Even these friendlies on top of Olympic qualifiers, like there's a lot going on.
1: Asian Cup qualifiers. So yeah. the next 12 months you've got the Asian Cup and the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Plus they're obviously there <laughs> – their normal, which is really where they earn most of their money in their club jobs. So it's, yeah, it's it's a real challenge and I think it's a shift. It's a great problem to have, but I do think it's something that if I was, like if if you're involved in football at that level, you've really got to take into account how they're handling the mental load. Absolutely. Um. So as we said, it's been a really swift transition for the players from, let's be honest, relative, relative obscurity to being arguably – probably not an argument, to being the most popular team in the country. but No arguments. Like it's – and that is a big shift, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Um, Just a little word on Christine Sinclair. Canada have confirmed that December the 12th, because she wears the number 12, so the 12th of the 12th, moving forward will become Christine Sinclair Day. So it's good. It's a holiday. I'm not sure it's a holiday. They've just – it's a day. It's like, not a public
0: holiday. It's yeah, just yeah. a day.
1: So good. That's epic. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I guess – and just finally, with that, we hope the Tillys are all having – well, they're not, they're all back at their clubs – but <laughs> have some time off because, yeah, the Olympic qualifiers against Uzbekistan in February, so not long. It's just constant for them. It is.
0: In some – well, continuing that Olympic qualifying news that shocked a lot of football fans, England's Lionesses gave their all in a bid for Team GB's Olympic dream, but despite an incredible 6-0 thrashing of Scotland – the Netherlands secured top honours in their Nations League group with a last-minute goal against Belgium. So it was pretty hectic. So England were trying to qualify on behalf of Great Britain. They had to win. They had to score more goals, more than three goals in their win, three more goals than the Netherlands needed to score. Correct. Yes. That was a hard sentence to get out. And it was just quite an insane thing. So it was almost like in two minutes. So Lucy Bronze scores an injury time for England to take them to 6-0. They were previously 5-0 and not topping the pool. So Lucy Bronze scores, So they've got their differential. They're topping the pool. They all celebrate like crazy and then wait as the game's finished in this huddle to find out what's going on with the Netherlands game. The Netherlands then score and there's heartbreak for England and the Lionesses. It was full on. Rough. The fact that they were happening at the same time is kind of cool, but it's pretty rough.
1: Beautiful. I love sport. (laughs) (laughs) We do love it. Tragedy Um, and triumph.
0: And so it it was kind of one of those tricky things where where England obviously played really well in that game, but they had defeats against the Dutch and Belgium that put them in that tricky situation in the first place, There were some
1: poor performances earlier in the campaign that meant, you know, they shouldn't have been left having to rely on goal difference at the very end.
0: And I think what this has opened up is discussion. The fact that GB... Team GB and Sweden and not in the Olympics, it opens up a discussion about the fact there's only 12 women's teams in the Olympics versus 16 men's teams, which is bizarre because we've talked about the fact that Paris is going to be the first Olympics with gender parity in terms of numbers, but there's still differences in the sport. Yeah, it is strange, isn't it? And I think with how competitive women's football is, obviously there's a lot of countries that are catching up to those top teams. 12 is obviously not enough. Definitely not enough.
1: And so we had there was a little bit of back and forth um, in the comments section, which, look, we love. We're here for back and forth in the comments all about it. at all times. But tell us, what was the back and forth relating to in this instance, Chloe?
0: So the post that we did said something like Lionesses fail or England failed to qualify for the Olympics and then in the, in the caption described the fact that they were representing Team GB because – England decide when they want to play as England or when they want to play as Team GB with their other countries to help them along the way? This is my
1: question. So confusing. So is it just the Olympics that they decide to, like, rein in their neighbours and say, let's compete as one?
0: I don't know. And imagine if we did that with New Zealand. Imagine (laughs) that in Rugby Sevens. If for every other tournament you played separate and then it was like, oh, we really want to ensure we win the gold medal. Let's all come together.
1: No doubt. You're right. Like, every other – I was – Sitting there thinking when we're, you know, looking at the back and forth, I was like, hang on a sec. Like, what other competition do they compete as GB? Mm, com games are separate, aren't they? Yeah, separate in com games, separate at all the World Cups.
0: It doesn't make sense. What is the reason?
1: I don't know. If if you're a uh, great British sport aficionado out there. Plenty in the comments. Tell us why you decide to invite your neighbours to play with you at the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> in basketball. On Friday night, the Sydney Flames won a close one against the UC Capitals in Canberra to celebrate Tess Madgen's 250th WNBL match in style. 250, what a ledge.
0: Congratulations. She's also just a bloody great human.
1: She's horribly nice. After after overcoming a challenging 18 months marred by injuries, Madgen has been outstanding for the Flames and reflected on her achievement saying, I feel really grateful and humbled to have played in the WNBL since I was 16. That's ridiculous. It has been more than half my life now. I would not be the personal player I am today without this league and all the wonderful people involved. My fondest memory is obviously the championship with the Boomers, but it is also the friendship and connections I have made that will last with me forever. Love that. The result left the Capitals winless. and the Flames sitting in fifth after seven rounds, the Townsville Fire sit on top of the ladder with six wins from their opening seven games. Up the Flames.
0: (laughs) In boxing. Aussie boxing sensation Ebony Bridges faced a world title disaster in San Francisco on Sunday morning Aussie time when she lost her IBF bantamweight world title in a stunning upset against Japanese fighter Mio Yoshida. Bridges, a.k.a. the blonde bomber, was the favorite heading into the bout, but Yoshida, who only took the fight at short notice, had other plans. After the fight went the distance, the judges scored the fight 99 to 91 okay well, how do you read boxing schools i yeah, don't that's know that's
1: right so two of them scored the fight 99 to 91 and the third judge 97 to 93
0: i was like why do we what are we
1: timesing by two here yeah that sorry sense. that's just me shorthanding <laughs> <laughs>
0: great um in favor of yoshida in a comprehensive decision it wasn't without controversy at the end of the fifth round yoshida landed a punch after the bell and the commentators on and called it borderline, Bez.
1: The old borderline.
0: The borderline. But with Yoshida's dominance, it would have been a robbery to penalise her. Yoshida landed 122
1: power punches to Bridges 66. That's Almost huge. Double, isn't it? She only took the fight two weeks ago. She stepped in for um, the boxer that Bridges was meant to be facing who pulled out via, because of injury. And it was, it, everyone thought this was going to be a walk in the park for Bridges because Yoshida only just fought, I think, four weeks ago. Wow. Interesting. And I, I look, there's definitely some thought around the fact that Bridges had prepared for another fighter and that Yoshida was a completely different picture. Yeah. So that's tough to change your plan that quickly.
0: And what I also love is that Yoshida, I think she calls herself and people call her the fighting single mother. So good. Isn't that so cool? Like yeah. she is. Um, She's out there like fighting for a lot more than herself. Like it was a pretty cool moment with her daughter. Daughter, I think that yeah. came into the ring. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Um, so Bridges took to Twitter or X, as old mate Elon likes to call it now. Um, <laughs> and and she said, uh, she was the better fighter tonight. Beautiful and humble single mother. Seeing how much that win meant to her and her daughter did give me some warmth inside. A loss doesn't define me. I have. No quit. It's all learning, and I'll be back better and stronger. Thank you to everyone who supports me. I love you all. All right, that yeah, good statement.
1: In cricket, it was an electrifying Women's Premier League auction over the weekend, and Aussie all-rounder Annabel Sutherland hit the jackpot, securing a stellar deal with the Delhi Capitals. Sutherland's payday of three hundred and sixty-four thousand dollars. That's nice. It's a thousand dollars a day.
0: Yeah, but, the, but it doesn't even go
1: for a year. It goes for four weeks. Wow, what bad that? money for four weeks?
0: How's your maths? <laughs>
1: It made her the highest-paid Aussie in this is WPL auction. The 22-year-old imagine just taking 364 grand at the age of 22. That's,
0: she's young, still yeah. isn't she? She's mm.
1: she's good. She was in high demand with both the Delhi Capitals and Mumbai Indians vying for her services. Eventually, the Delhi Capitals emerged victorious, adding Sutherland to a star-studded lineup alongside Meg Lanning, Jess Johnson, and Laura Harris, who were retained by the team prior to auction. Batter Phoebe Litchfield fetched a handsome $182,000 joining the Gujarat Giants. The auction also saw Lauren Cheadle return, Lauren Cheadle's return to the international side celebrated with a $55,000 deal from the Giants. And spinners Georgia Wareham and Sophie Molyneux are set to dazzle in Royal Challengers at Bangalore, securing deals worth $73k and $55k respectively. The tournament is set to be played from late February to mid March, with thirty players being bought in the auction from a pool of one hundred and sixty five that nominated. The auction did have its surprises, with notable Aussies such as Alana King, Amanda Jade Wellington, Nicola Carey, and Kim Garth going unsold.
0: It's quite interesting, isn't it? And even um, the is it the Pakistani player that was the big bash yeah. player of the season? She didn't get bored either. Didn't get bored, like yeah. We talked. Did we talk last week about Amanda Jade Wellington? Jade Wellington how well she played like it's kind of there's a few surprises
1: won the tournament yeah but the strikers there are only 30 spots for international players in WPL which I think obviously influences it and most were taken up by players returning to their franchises which is fair enough yeah so nine Australians including Lanning Gardner Mooney Elise Perry and new national captain Elisa Healy are included in that group
0: cool Good segue.
1: Thank you. It
0: was confirmed over the weekend that Elisa Healy has been appointed Australia's new women's cricket captain across all three formats, replacing Meg Lanning at the helm of the champion team. She said in a statement, I'm honoured to accept the role of captain and I'm grateful for the opportunity to lead out our team. I've really enjoyed the support of the players over the past few months and their encouragement to continue to be who I am and lead the group like I normally would from within. My approach will remain consistent to what it has been previously, but I'll make my own mark on the role and be sure that I'm doing the best I possibly can for this group to maintain the success we've had. We've just got a slight pause while I forgot to transfer one of the stories. Just Oh,
1: no pause required. Off you go. In rugby union, the Aussie Sevens girls have gone back to back. BTB. Taking home the Cape Town Sevens title early this morning, Monday in the final against France. It had Everything. There was a lot going on. There was a lot going on. Couldn't have started better for the Aussies. Australia earned three turnovers, two to Alicia Alicia, and one to Madison Ashby, and all three resulted in tries. They were just like
0: that first half was
1: dominant. I was watching. I didn't get up at 3 a.m. to watch it. Poor fan. But I did watch it this morning um, on the replay on Stan, and my brother was watching it with me, and he was like, God, they're good over the ball. They really are that one-on-one contest. It's so important, Sevens, and they really showed how good they were. Yeah. The work at that breakdown, like I said, was elite, and it was great to see the girls in gold rewarded for their physical work at the tackle contest. Another try to the Aussies, they're up 22-0. It looked like it was all over, to be honest.
0: Well, it was funny because, as you said, well, we watched. I watched the replay with Dad just before the podcast. Isn't it funny that this is like – I guess TFAP is technically my job now that we're in the off-season – like – just doing research, just working, sitting on the couch watching rugby sevens.
1: So good, it's a good life. Best job ever. Best job ever. Go on, you're going to tell a story about watching it with with Bradley or?
0: Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Wow. Sidetracked. It. Uh, it was weird. It's weird when you know the score, and you're watching it. Like, what happened? And then,
1: still nervous. <laughs> yeah. So they did. They the French obviously are super physical. They weren't about to lay down. They scored two late tries in the first half. That first half went. Three minutes over time? Yeah, it was long. Oof, that last three minutes. They looked They cooked. were gassed. Um, and just to add a little bit more tension, try scoring a machine. Madison Levi received a straight red on half time for a high tackle, which that wasn't hurts. great. So the Aussies played the entire second half with six on the field and they tried to control the tempo with being one player short, obviously. Up by three with two minutes on the clock, rookie Caitlin Shave backed herself and made a break down the sideline to score under the post and take the score to 29-19. There was a late try to the French that left the Aussies with a pretty nervy last 15 seconds to survive, but they secured the kickoff and sent the ball into the stands for an epic victory. Madison Ashby was awarded the player of the final, and skipper Charlotte Kaslick told media after the final it was a really gutsy effort from the girls. Finishing the game with six players, we played France last week and also had a red card, so to do that two weeks in a row I was super brave from the girls.
0: I forgot it was against France. They'd be yeah. feeling pretty devastated that Australia have done that to them twice now.
1: That that was a big opportunity they let slip. But yeah. they, they, they lost it in that first three minutes with those turnovers. Yeah, they did. Um, Charlotte said, I'm just so proud of them. We always fight for each other. And the last minute of the first half really took it out of everyone. So to keep going, the second half was really good. To win here and go back to back, we haven't done that in a while, so it just sets our season up really well. And the next one will be in Perth.
0: How good. See you there. (laughs) In even more football news, the A-League marches on and Courtney Vine, our Matildas star, marked her much anticipated return from injury in style. Vine scored the winning goal for Sydney FC against the Newcastle Jets, securing a 1-0 victory for the Liberty A-League champions. She left it late with the goal coming six minutes from the final whistle, breaking the deadlocks with a goal that showcased her skill and determination. The game also saw the debut of 16-year-old recruit Madeline Caspers, who was thrust straight into the starting line. Because I saw the the media release that she'd, Signed. I didn't realize she started the same day. Ready to go. When you're 16, you don't need to warm up. You're in. That's so true. You don't need any activation exercises. <laughs> you're in. That's so good. <laughs> oh, good on her. She made an immediate impact with the junior Matilda's sensation, exhibiting class, vision, and passing accuracy. Our match of the round did not disappoint with the top, the top of the top of the <laughs> top of the table clash, <laughs> seeing Perth Glory make a resounding statement against Melbourne City, triumphing. That's a weird word 3-1 in a game That had everything Millie Farrow Secured her first Ever A-League hat trick And etched her name In the Glories History books It was so cool Her third goal Was epic The Englishwoman's Sensational performance Saw her score In the 32nd 51st And 71st Minutes Becoming the first Perth player Since a legendary Just a minor name These days Sam Kerr Never heard of her <laughs> 2019. She doesn't even go here. To achieve a Liberty <laughs> Cat drink, she plays somewhere else these days. <laughs> um yeah, her third goal was epic. She it, it she had a defender on her and then instead of taking a shot on goal, she just like dribbled around the goalie and the poor
1: goalie just like ended up diving. It's. I do not envy those people. It's not fun. Not fun. In some more data news, we love the data. We love the data. We've been talking about setting up a little a little help page almost on our website. Maybe we could help Chloe how to teach her how to drink water out of a cup that she just spilled all over herself. But a little help page on our website that links you to all of these amazing, amazing studies. Amazing.
0: I also like you've kind of thrown me under the bus because that means we have to get it done when you tell the people. Oh, I can do it.
1: <laughs> right. you, did, what were Thank you just you. saying about this being your full-time role now that you're not training anymore? <laughs> yeah, I probably should it done. <laughs> anyway, and another amazing study released last week. This time it was from MKTG Sports and Entertainment who unveiled groundbreaking findings from its report, which was called Fan Speed. It delved into the state of gender equity in Australian sports. The key findings included that in October 2023, 41% of Australian sports fans perceived men's and women's sports as equal, marking an 8% increase from March. So we've gone from 32% to 41%. There's one reason for that, let's be real. There's a main reason for that. Matilda's. That person, Sam Kerr. Um, <laughs> the most significant driver of gender equity perception was the ease of finding women's sports games on TV with a remarkable 14% increase.
0: Isn't that interesting? Shocking.
1: It's like your t-shirt actually says. Watch women's sport. Would you believe it? Perceptions of equity in quality of play and competitiveness both rose by 10%, 10% respectively. Cool. And younger Australians and female Australians exhibited higher perceptions of gender equity and experienced the highest increases in 2023. Their enthusiasm and support are crucial to driving further progress in the area.
0: That's just not surprising, is it?
1: The next gen, bringing it home.
0: Bring it home. The study also uncovered a disparity in media coverage with only one in five Australians believing that the media adequately covers women's sport. Matt Connell, Managing Director APAC, said, while we celebrate this substantial increase in gender equity perceptions with 41% of Australians now recognising them as equal, our ultimate goal is to achieve 100% acceptance. To accomplish this, we must continue to work on increasing media coverage and financial support of women's sport as they remain the most significant barriers to reaching that milestone. I think what's really cool in two parts about this study from my perspective is Firstly, the fact that it's about Australian sport, because we obviously, it's almost every week we get new data, which we love. But I think Australian sport is quite different to to where it's at in the US and the UK. So I think it's really cool that we actually get a direct look at how it's performing. But the fact that it's backing up what we say about the fact that there has to be increased access and it has to be on TV, like People aren't just saying these things for the sake of it. There's genuine data that supports that fact.
1: Yeah. It, it, and it's when we see it happen, we see a direct result. Yeah. Craig Roberts, I love this quote. I left two in here. I know it was a bit quotey, but he says, two truisms that get repeated at every sports marketing conference these days are, you can't be what you can't see. Said that a bi- billion times. And what gets measured gets managed. Mm. I like that one.
0: That's a new one. I must not be going to enough conferences. <laughs>
1: This fan speed research sets a baseline for how far from parity we are on access and visibility of women's sport compared to men's. Now we have the data, the challenge to our industry is how quickly can we improve these metrics by expanding access, improving quality of coverage and shifting perceptions of performance and competitiveness for women's sport. That's, that's really cool. Preach, Craig. Love that. Love it.
0: Let's take a look at the key story.
1: So some more football, more, more football. It's been a bit football-tinged. It's been a bit of a football year, to be honest. The
0: people like football.
1: True. The beautiful game. So this is a bit of an update on the Women's Football World Cup ongoing sagas for you. There's a couple of them, but these are two in particular. The accusations against former Royal Spanish Football Federation President Luis Rubiales continued to grow after a report was released by FIFA outlining the reasons for the ban handed down to the disgraced former president. The English FA chair, Debbie Hewitt, has accused Luis Rubiales of further inappropriate conduct during the FIFA World Cup final in Sydney. As reported by CNN, FIFA banned Rubiales from all football-related activities for three years in October. The additional accusations include Rubiales touching England players and forcibly kissing them. That's such a creep. Horrible. According to FIFA's report, Hewitt claimed that Rubiales had an unpleasant and unnecessarily aggressive tone during the post-match ceremony. She was standing next to him. so. Legit was right up close and personal to his behaviour. The incidents involved him cupping and stroking the face of English player Laura Coombs and forcibly kissing Lucy Marons. Hewitt felt deeply uncomfortable at the way Rubiales greeted Spanish players, even tapping one on the bottom. In the report, FIFA's disciplinary committee published the reasons behind Rubiales' three-year ban, highlighting the severity of his actions and obviously included those new new ones from England. Mm. In response, according to FIFA, Rubiales said it was Disgusting Hewitt depicted him as some sort of creep, accused her of blatant lies, said she speaks from ignorance, and that her overall statement does a disservice to her position as chair of the English FA. (laughs) He just keeps doubling down. Whoa. FIFA completely dismissed Rubiala's assessment in conclusion, saying it had no reason to doubt Hewitt's observations. The committee stressed the need for severe sanctions due to the profound negative impact on FIFA's image, women's football, and women's sport in general.
0: Wow, it's actually quite nice that they've really stood firm in that because sometimes you just don't know which way it's going to go. It, uh, they did take their time, but they got there in the end. Is his mum back in the church or is she is she eating food now? <laughs> in some more disappointing news, Jamaican players Rebecca Spencer and Khadijah Bunny-Shaw dispute claims made by the Jamaica Football Federation, the JFF, regarding their World Cup payments. This was a big discussion during Will, and, and in the lead up to the World
1: Cup is. It's and, it's right. and then continued. afterwards they pulled out of some qualifiers because they hadn't been yes. paid.
0: Um, so it comes from a report by Katie Manganelli from Just Women's Sports and follows a recent interview with Jamaican TV station Sports Max with goalkeeper Rebecca Spencer revealing that a number of players from the Reggae Girls, as they're called, have not received their full payments dating back to February this contradicts the JFF's press release on October 27th, where they assured the public that all World Cup team balances had been paid in full. The JFF statement had outlined their commitment to compensating the team, including those who participated in the qualifying rounds but didn't make the final World Cup squad. What the confusing part is here, Bez, is that it was only a few days before that they'd said there'd been a shortfall of payments and they couldn't afford to pay the players. And then they released this statement, and the players have been like, hang on a second. So there's been some weird inner workings. Obviously, there's been backlash when they said there was a shortfall of payments that they hadn't paid the players, and so it's almost like they've
1: just decided to make the statement and not make the payments.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it
1: sounds like. <laughs> yeah. It was very strange. And I think, again, these are the kind of things that JFF said that they hadn't got their fund, the payments from FIFA, so therefore couldn't pass the money on. But, again, it's something that FIFA really needs to take a stronger stance on they need to have some oversight of these nations and ensure that the players are being remunerated mm-hmm. let's take a look at what to watch a WNBL match of the round sees the Southside flyers host the town townsville fire the flyers and the fire it's a hard one Flyer. in a third v first face-off the tip-off is thursday at 7pm local time so get out to the state basketball center in melbourne or watch live and free on Nine Now.
0: The snow athletes continue to win medals in the cold weather. Next week, there'll be an action again, and you can watch all the amazing athletes competing in the FIS World Cup action this season for free via FIS TV. You can uh, just visit watch.fis-ski.com. I'll say that one more time watch.fis-ski.com and register to cheer our
1: legends on. Pretty cool. It's all free. It's all free once you... Love that. You can uh, just create a little, what's the word, a profile and you're in. Great. The A-League match of the round is between Perth Glory and Sydney FC. The Blues are knocking on the door of the top four and the Glory are sitting pretty in first. The match will be on Sunday night, 7pm local time. A bit late for us East Coasters. Higoff will be at Macedonia Park in Perth. Don't miss it. You can watch live on 10 Play.
0: And that's the wrap.
1: Wrap it up. Put it in a package, send it off. With all your new merch. Do not miss out.
0: (laughs) See you next week. (laughs) Bye-bye.